0: So, before we get to the scripture for today, uh, I feel like we need to spend some time processing what happened in Uvalde, uh, Texas this week. I know that it's on all of our hearts, and I know that um, we're here in part to seek God's presence, to seek God's wisdom, and seek God's comfort uh, after a really, really difficult week. I imagine if your week was anything like mine, you. Pride this week. Uh, you found yourself just in disbelief um, and in, in just handling and holding a great deal of sadness. It was so, so hard to walk my kids to school on Wednesday morning, just knowing that there are others in the world, uh, and specifically in Texas, that, that didn't get to do that that morning. Um, and so I just feel like the, the range of emotions this week, from, from deep sadness and, and solidarity um, to tears to anger and, and frustration? Why, why are we still still dealing with this? Um, for teachers and uh, for those who guide our, our young folks and uh, who show up to work, um, you shouldn't have to think about this. You shouldn't have to do drills. You shouldn't have to hear yet again that this has happened. And um, My heart and all of our hearts are, are with you. Um, thank you um, for what you do. God bless you. I didn't know this morning we're talking about how to leave a legacy, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But just tried to, to think through. I spent a good part of Wednesday morning just pacing in the balcony and, and praying, God, what, what, what do you say in a moment like this? How do we see your presence and your comfort and your hope in the midst of such tragedy? And um, Eventually, um, God led me to this, this poem by Amanda Gorman. Some of you may have seen it. Um, it's entitled, Hymn for the Hurting. And so I just want to share this with you this morning. Uh, Amanda Gorman a brilliant young poet. Um, and she offers these words. I just invite you to, to hear them, to soak them in, to live in them. And we'll take a moment of silence afterwards. Um, but, uh, but listen to this, Hymn for the Hurting. Everything hurts. Our hearts shadowed and strange, minds made muddied and mute. We carry tragedy, terrifying and true, yet none of it is new. We knew it as home, as horror, as heritage. Even our children cannot be children, cannot be. Everything hurts. It's a hard time to be alive and even harder to stay that way. We're burdened to live out these days while at the same time blessed to outlive them. This alarm is how we know we must be altered, that we must differ or die, that we must triumph or try. Thus, while hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into a love that lets us live. May we not just grieve, but give. May we not just ache, but act. May our signed right to bear arms never blind our sight from shared harm. May we choose our children over chaos. May another innocent never be lost. Maybe everything hurts, our hearts shadowed and strange. But only when everything hurts, may everything change. We heard this week um, a lot of folks, and you may have done the same, offering our thoughts and prayers. And I want to start by saying that prayer is probably the most powerful thing that we can do—the most powerful response in a time like this. We believe in the power of prayer to change things. We believe in the power of prayer to to work through God's Spirit uh, in the world, but also in our hearts to bring healing and comfort and peace in difficult times. Prayer is powerful and effective, and we should never stop praying. In fact, we gathered on Thursday to pray, uh, thanks in part to, to Laura Paget, in, in response to the Holy Spirit working in her and calling us to pray and be in solidarity with those who are hurting. And so we should never stop doing that. Rich Viedas uh, is a pastor in New York City at a, a big church there, and, and he said this. He said that prayer reminds us that because God in Christ is at work in the world, there's always hope. There's always hope for the life of the kingdom to continually break in. And he says this. He says, let me say it this way. Prayer is a power to resist resignation. Prayer is a power to resist resignation. I don't know how many of you felt resigned to hopelessness this week, but I know that I did prayer is one way that we can resist that resignation. The thing is, though, prayer is not just a one-way street. It's not just a chance for us to offer up, but a chance for us to offer ourselves in response. Some of you may have seen this going around social media as well. Miroslav Volf uh, once remarked, he's a theologian and, and pastor and teacher, um, theologian and teacher. He once said this, there's something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to resolve. Something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to resolve. And friends, our record on resolving this issue of violence, particularly in schools, is not, it's not a good one. It's not a good one. Wolf's comment reminds me of a, a conversation I had with Rabbi Stephen Roberts, the former rabbi here at the synagogue in Boone. Um, who said to me one time, he said, you know, I'm always amazed by you Christians when you talk about prayer. And I've, I've mentioned this before. When you talk about prayer, it's just like it's this, this thing that you do rather than this thing that you participate in. So the Jewish understanding of prayer is that we are to be part of the answer to the prayers that we pray. Frederick Douglass, a great abolitionist, once said this. He said, I prayed for 20 years but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Praying with our legs, being ready to do something as our church value calls us to do. Praying expectantly in hope that God is already at work and just asking how we can join that work of healing and making things right in the world. That's how we are to pray, knowing that God is already doing something. We pray ready to do something with God. Embodying the change That we seek praying with our legs. And it's that kind of prayer that allows us to leave a legacy for others behind us. That kind of prayer that allows us, as another one of our values of this church says, to to live, to make a difference. And so as we turn to scripture this morning from Psalm 78 our topic this morning is what does it look like to leave a legacy? So I invite you to hear these words from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them From their descendants, we will tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God. And would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Friends, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you thought much about what you would want your legacy to be in this world? What do you want to be known for? What would you like to be remembered for years after you're gone when people remember your name and your life and how you spent your your energy and your time and your money? What would you want your legacy to be? I mentioned one of our values here at this church is to live to make a difference. On this Memorial Day weekend, we are certainly remembering those whose legacy is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Those who have given the ultimate sacrifice, their own lives, in order that all of us might be here to worship freely without fear. And so we remember those who've lost their lives on this Memorial Day weekend. We give God thanks for their lives and for their legacy of of putting others' needs before their own. That's straight out of scripture that we are to do that. I want to talk a little bit um, this morning about uh, legacy. I want to talk about my dad. Um, this is a little bit early for Father's Day. Uh, it's a couple weeks away yet, but uh, I just wanted an opportunity to, to, to brag about my dad. He may be watching. He often tunes in and worships with us, as he has. Uh, he lives in Michigan, but um, he has worshiped with us ever since we started live streaming. And that's one of the, one of the benefits of the ways that your giving has allowed uh, our message and our mission and our vision to, to go throughout the world. And so, hey, Dad... Um, if you're watching, love you. But I want to talk about my dad because uh, he left, is, is in still leaving. Uh, such a beautiful legacy. He was an elementary administrator for, uh, for years and years. That was his, uh, his profession. And then he retired and did some other things, did some real estate and some other stuff um, after that. But the time that he spent in elementary school was uh, just, it was so rich and so beautiful. He, he worked at a school called Oakview Elementary and uh, the slogan that he came up with that he led uh, for the school was home of happy children. Home of happy children. And man, he, he lived into that so, so beautifully. And just encouraged, just, just by the way he was present, he used to go and uh, just, he'd stop in, of course, to all the, like, like all the administrators do, like all the teachers do, uh, investing in the lives of students and young people, in the, not only in the school, but in the community as well. And he would spend all kinds of time with them. He'd go in the gym during recess. And he was a really good basketball player. He probably still can shoot better than, than me. Um, and, and he would go in and he would just shoot baskets with the kids at recess. And they'd be amazed because here's Mr. McLean in his you know, suit and tie. And his hey, how do you do, would you just put this in the basket like that? Is that what you, and the kids, Mr. McLean, whoa, you know, it was, just, it was just awesome. But it was his way of connecting and of being present uh, to students as they learn. Home of happy children was the motto. it was a beautiful one. And after, at the end of his uh, career at Oakview Elementary School, the school dedicated the new media center that they had just developed in the library in his name. And so it still uh, bears his name, the James A. McLean uh, Media Center at Oakview Elementary. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of my dad. Um, But it's not just because they named a media center after him. It's because of the way that he lived his life with those children and taught them what it meant uh, to be loved and to be cared for. Um, such a beautiful gift that he gave. And, and this is the thing. There are people still today. My dad's, what did you just turn, 74, 75? He's 75 years old. There are people still to this day that come up to him when I'm visiting, when I'm home with him in Muskegon, Michigan, the town that we grew up in, that still come up to him. Mr. McLean, how are you doing? And these are people that are older than me that remember him when they were in third and fourth and fifth grade. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful legacy. One such student, uh, his name is, is Art Durin, And he, um, one day, my dad was, was uh, doing his thing, just working in, in the school. And uh, Art had, had decided to behave in a way that wasn't really appropriate. And my dad kind of called him out on it. And, and uh, he ended up kind of following him, following Art home to school and at, home from school. And he wanted to have a conversation with him and talk to him about it. And Art wasn't having it. Art was like, I don't know who you think you are, like this is not happening, like you can't tell me what to do, you just wait until my uncle meets you, uh, he's going to whoop you. And my dad said, good, go get your uncle, I want to talk to him. <laughs> and, so, and thus began uh, a beautiful friendship, a beautiful mentorship relationship. Just uh, Art Duren still tells that story about what it was like to get followed home by Mr. McClain, uh and to be set right and to, and to be shown, hey, there's another way to behave and to be in the world and Art has, has lived on to, to, to continue that legacy of giving in the community. He worked for the school system himself uh, for a number of years and poured into countless young people um, the gifts that my dad had, had poured into him and so I'm just so proud of my dad and his legacy. God bless you dad and I love you. Um, but wow that is um, for me that's one example of what it means uh, to live to make a difference. To spend your time investing in people in ways that allows them to know that you are present with them, that their lives matter, and that they are loved and beloved children of God. I love the psalm this morning talking about kind of the, the way that we leave a legacy of faith to our children. My people hear my teaching. Psalm seventy-eight says, "Listen to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth with a parable, utter hidden things from of old. Things that we've heard and known. Things that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants." the The tone of this, and he goes on to say the the, the psalmist goes on to say, I should say that that they will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, God's power and the wonders that God has done. But the setup to that is kind of interesting. And it, hearing the language, we're, we're going to teach you, we're going to uh, open with a parable, we're going to utter hidden things from of old, things we've heard that our ancestors have told, we will not hide them from our descendants. The, the, sort of, the tone behind this text is not that we're going to hide the great deeds that God has done, it's we're not going to hide the ways that we, the people of God, have acted through the years. And even yet, in our bad behavior, in our negligence, in our care in our lack of care and concern for the poor and the widow and the orphan, even in that stuff, even when we turned from God to other false idols, God is faithful. And that's the beautiful thing about the, the, the scriptures that we read, particularly what we call the Old Testament. They are not afraid to tell the story in truth, to tell the ways that they've fallen short of the lives that God had called them to, of the commandments that God had given them, the the way to be in the world, a way to love love their neighbor, love God, and love their neighbor as themselves. They tell the truth. And it's surprising how honest they are sometimes about the ways that they've failed to live as God's people. And so that's kind of the, the, the impetus behind this. We're going we're gonna to talk about all of the things. We're going to we're gonna teach in parables. We're going to talk about hidden things that, that our ancestors have told us. We're not going to hide these from our descendants, but we're going to tell how God was faithful to us even when we were unfaithful to God. We're going to tell about God's grace even when we didn't deserve it. The legacy of God's people even today is... This is a difficult one, isn't it? It's, it's one of, of following and then falling away. <laughs> of loving and then not being so loving. Right? It's kind of, a, it's a mixed legacy. And thankfully, God is gracious with us today too. And forgives us for all of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness as we confess from time to time. But it's a mixed legacy, right? It's, it's, it's one where you know, we follow this character, Jesus, who said, Judge not, lest you be judged. And yet, Christians are often known for being judgmental, aren't we? We're often known by what we are against rather than what it is that we're for. There are any number of ways that this has revealed itself. We look at the way that the church has handled racism, for example, in the past. There have been times where we overtly supported racism by pointing to Scripture and saying, look, it's okay. Scripture says we can have slaves. And there are still ways today that we are guilty of perpetuating racism by not more strongly dis- denouncing it and working to dismantle it. Look at human sexuality. It's about to, we're in the midst of a divorce, right? That's kind of where we are as a Methodist church in the world. Because we can't get along with each other. We can't decide that uh, what we believe about the Bible in some areas might be different and, and still live in unity together, pursuing Christ together in love. That's part of the legacy that we have right now. Uh, and Not even to mention gun violence, right? As I said, we haven't, haven't done much on that since Columbine, really. That was 20 years ago, 22 years ago. I mean, we've, we've done some things, of course. We've put in safety measures in our schools. We've locked doors. We've included uh, people to help patrol and, and keep the ground safe. We've uh, had our teachers learn how to do drills with their students to hide under the desk and prop the, something up against it. We've done all that stuff. But from the legislative side, we haven't done really anything to help fix this problem that we can all agree should not exist. And so somehow, sometimes, uh, when we offer as the church, when we offer our thoughts and prayers, you can understand how the world might, the world who's not part of the church, might see that as maybe not so helpful. We will not hide them from our descendants, the things our ancestors told us. We'll tell the next generation of the ways that we failed and the ways that God has been faithful in the midst of our failings. And verse seven says, "Then they will put their trust in God, and we will not forget His deeds, but will keep His commands." Most important commandment in all of Scripture. Jesus was asked about it, and Jesus said, uh, "Jesus said that you love one another. <laughs> love the Lord your God is the most important, and that you love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself." One of his last discussions with his disciples. In the book of John, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be complete. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that they will know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. Friends, if God is love, how can we be anything less? How can we be known for anything less than love in the world? Look how God has acted in love. Look at God's legacy in Christ and what God has done for us, the ultimate example of love. Again, as we celebrate, not celebrate, as we remember and and commend and, and yes, celebrate the lives of our military heroes this weekend who have lost their lives in service for one another, we remember also that Jesus did that for us, for the whole world, right? Jesus went to the cross and died rather than like Peter wanted to cut off the disciples' ear, right? Or cut off the, the soldier's ear. Jesus healed it and said, no, 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 that's not the way. That's not the way of love. That's not how we're going to change the world. We are going to change the world by showing the world how much God loves the world. For God so loved the world, right? It's our favorite, most quoted scripture verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, and that eternal life started when Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. That's when eternal life starts. That's when it was made possible. God saw sin and came near anyway. God saw brokenness and came to bring wholeness. God saw darkness and came in the person of Jesus Christ to bring light and to make all things new. God came down to earth that our, that our thoughts and prayers would take on legs, as Frederick Douglass said. As I was thinking through and, and praying and, and reading through things to, to share this morning, I came across an article by uh, Kirsten Powers who, who put it this way. The, the article was written in 2017 after the Las Vegas uh, mass shooting. And it was entitled this, Why Thoughts and Prayers is Starting to Sound So Profane. And she started out by talking about what an impact prayer has made in her life and how she understands the value of it and it's important and we need to keep doing it. Um, but then she says this, that to just offer thoughts and prayers, she says, It's analogous to what's going on in the book of James 2, verse 16. If a person says to those who are cold and hungry, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? She goes on to say, or if you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, we can easily imagine that the priest who walked by a person robbed and left half dead by the side of the road probably prayed as he passed by. But still, he was a bad priest. The Samaritan was good. Because he did something to help the suffering person. I love that line from Amanda Gorman's poem that we read this morning. May we not just grieve, but give. May we not just ache, but act. A friend of mine, um, his name's David Luzansky. uh, Shout out to David. David. Um, Posted this week about just the, the, just the things that a lot of us, I imagine, are feeling. Just the, the helplessness, the fact that our political system seems frozen beyond, uh, beyond repair, broken beyond repair. What can we actually do? I, posting on Facebook never changes anybody's mind, right? I mean, we tend to, I, I tend, I'm going to say me, I tend to read things that I agree with and go, yes, and I scroll past the ones that I don't. I don't not, it doesn't change my mind often, right? Facebook is not a platform Social media is not a platform for that. And my friend David was lamenting that and saying, well, then what can we actually do in the face of a horrific tragedy like this? What can we do and how can we not just grieve but give? How can we not just ache but act? And for him, what he, where he landed on was to give his time. After the uh, Parkland shooting a number of years ago, one of the ways that he decided to respond to that was to join Big Brothers Big Sisters. Start giving time to young people who, who need somebody in their lives to be present and to walk with them through difficult times and to, and to be there for them when they get bullied or when they get... Um, it, it, David realized that a lot of these, a lot of these young people who, who do horrific things had a really difficult life. And it's not an excuse, but it is part of the equation. And maybe if there was someone there along the way to reassure them that they are loved, that they are important, that they are valued... Um, despite what they might be experiencing either at home or at school, being bullied, uh, that their lives actually matter. Maybe things would have gone differently for them. And so Dave decided uh, to show up, to give of himself, to give the, the most, really the most valuable thing we have, right? We can't, we can't gain any more time. We can't pay for any more time, uh, no matter how much wealth we have. But we, so it's our most valuable resource, really, is our time and our presence. And so that's how Dave has decided to respond. And there are so many ways to do that in our community. I know a number of you are involved in them as I look around this room. Uh, Western Youth Network does a a phenomenal job walking alongside kids who just need a little extra help and support in life. And there are ways that through this church that we've partnered with Wynn over the years through the mentorship program, through the, the Lunch Buddy program. If you have a half an hour once a week to go and have lunch with a kid, man, you have no idea what kind of an impact that might have on that kid's life. Just knowing that you're there every week, that, that they can sit down and, that they can talk. and they might not talk about anything. My lunch buddy, sometimes like we don't, he's just like, uh, you want to play basketball now? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go do that, buddy. That sounds good. You never know, though, how that time, that investment, that gift of yourself, reassuring that person uh, that they are valued and that they are important. You never know how that's going to change the trajectory of that person's life. So many ways give. This church is known for the ways that we give in our community, right? I've said this so many times up here. I'm so proud of the way that we respond to the needs of the community, especially when needs arise kind of spontaneously. Uh, We fill food pantries. We fill backpacks. We do uh, firewood when when people need uh, something to heat their homes with. There there are so many ways uh, to get involved. If you would like to try to make a difference, to live to make a difference here in this place as a part of our church, as a part of our mission to love our community and to invite all to discover life in Christ. If you have not been able to connect and find ways to serve, please come and talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Laura or Patty or Ed or Vern or any any of our pastoral staff and we will get you connected to any number of ways that fit your personality, that fit your gifts that God has given you uh, to give back to our community. Uh, There are countless ways to do that and I just encourage you to do that this morning. As you ponder, how can we not just grieve but give? How can we not just ache but act? Another question that I have for you is, I wonder what it looks like to leave a legacy gift to this church and community. And this is something we don't talk about a lot in church, but, but it is important. We have an endowment fund at this church because Betty Hodson decided out of her faithfulness to God to give a gift to this church that she wanted to outlive her. There's another opportunity to give. If you believe in the mission of this church and you've been a part of this church for a long time, remember the church in your estate planning. And there are a number of folks that you can talk to about that. Come and talk to Ed or myself, any of the pastoral staff. We'd love for that. That's another way to give of yourself in a way that outgives and outlives your life. We're in the midst right now of a a season of discernment for how we can live more fully into the mission and vision that God has given us. And part of that includes paying off the debt in this church and asking the question, what could we do if we were debt-free? How can we continue to bless? How can we bless even more this community by our financial gifts and by the things that we offer of ourselves here? So that, again, there's so many ways that we can can give. One of the biggest churches, um, one of the biggest Methodist churches in the United States uh, is in Kansas. And a few years ago, they built a new sanctuary. And when they endeavored into that, they, they wanted to build something that they said would last 300 to 400 years. We don't often think in terms of that, right? Our building's 20 years old, and we've already got to replace the AC units. Like We, we don't think in hundreds of years to make impacts for the world. But I just want to encourage us to think that way. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about leaving a legacy, leaving a legacy for children that that maybe aren't even born yet, as Scripture says, to know the ways that God works in our lives and in this community and in in this place. What do we want Boone UMC's legacy to be? I hope that it's one, and I know that it is one, of love. Because that is God's legacy to us through Christ. That pastor, or that, uh, that, that message that I shared earlier about my dad, um, Art Duran, that, that young man that my dad worked with and got to know and mentored and helped him into the educational system in our hometown, um, he had a second career and he's in the midst of it now. And I, I already said it, I said the word before I was supposed to tell you the, the, the anyway, storytelling. Um, he's a pastor now, Art Duran is. He's a pastor of a church that's about a, a block from the, the, the place where I grew up as a kid. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the biggest and fastest growing churches uh, in, in Muskegon right now, in Michigan. And he's doing that <laughs> because he responded to God's call to leave a legacy for children and for the neighborhood um, in the way that my dad was a part of helping him live into something bigger than just bad behavior. What a beautiful story of, of redemption and of God's work in our lives. And what a good reminder for all of us this morning— that no matter who we are or where we've, where we've been or what we've done, that God works despite our unfaithfulness. God is faithful. And that is God's legacy to us and to the world through Christ. And God invites us to be a part of that. And so friends, I want to invite you to consider again this morning how to pour into a hurting world that needs us, that needs Jesus more than ever. Let's pray. God, I give you thanks for your word that reminds us of your faithfulness from generation to generation. Give you thanks that we can gather in this place and we can read scripture about the stories of Jesus and the life of Jesus, one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for all. God, may we, the church that has been so beautiful and has been so broken over the years, may we live into the redemption that you offer us in Christ. God, may we live into the legacy that Christ set for us when he endured the cross and for the joy set before him, endured the cross and and suffered through it in order that you, Lord, might be glorified and in order that we might all know your great love for us. God, thank you, for allowing us a chance to participate in that redemption. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be a part of the solution to all the world's problems, to be a part of the love that you are, God. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our hands and our feet and our legs to move in the direction of your love always.